for y'all. So a man was praying in church one day, and as he's praying, he looks up to heaven, and he says to God, God, can I ask you a question? And God says, of course, my son, you can ask me whatever you want. And God, he asked him, God, what is a million years to you? And God says, well, my son, a million years is like one second. Okay, the man says, I guess I understand. Then what is a million dollars to you then? Well, my son, a million dollars is like a penny to me. Huh, says the man. He goes back to praying. He looks up again. God, can I have a penny? God says, sure. Just wait a second. And when we, when we talk about prayer and connection to God, uh, sometimes, because the theme today is we are connected people, uh, when we talk about being connected to God in prayer, sometimes prayer can feel like a transactional experience or a one-way, uh, you know, I'm, and that's fine, you know, that God can handle it, but a, a laundry list of things. Um, and we forget that it, it's supposed to be a relationship, right? An act of speaking and and listening, and that out of the overflow of that connection to God, really through prayer primarily, uh, is, is uh, ministry flows out from that. Out of our connection to God flows everything else. And how do we know that? Well, because we see it in the life of Jesus. This is who he was. This is what he did day after day. He was constantly connected to his Father in prayer. You see it repeatedly, and this is just the parts that are recorded, uh, where he would just steal away and go pray for hours, and the disciples would go, where's Jesus? Well, we don't know. Has he had anything to eat? We don't know. Where did he go? I don't know. You know, he would just go away and pray to God constantly, and it was so, it's astounding to think about that, that here is the Son of God in the Bible, and he, his main recourse in life on earth was prayer. In many ways, his whole, his whole life was a prayer, uh, and perfectly in step with the will of the Father. As he said, I am doing what I see the Father doing and what he is informing me to do. So prayer was not only his regular habit, it was his resort in every emergency. When he was perplexed, he prayed. When he was anxious, he prayed. When he was pressed by the crowds, he would go off and pray. When he was hungry for fellowship, he found it in prayer with his father. When he needed to choose his disciples, he went away and he prayed. When he was tempted by the devil, he prayed. When he was criticized, he prayed. When he was fatigued in body or wearied in spirit, he always returned to his habit of prayer. That it was, there was no emergency, no difficulty, no necessity that kept him away from prayer. That this is, his whole life was a prayer. And as Christians, the, the one we follow, this is who he was, that this is what he did. So this should be the example that we step into as well. That when he was connected to God in prayer repeatedly, constantly, it's a reminder for us today that when we assume a position of weakness, you are actually stronger than at any point in your life. That when you assume a position of dependence, you are actually more secure. That when you assume a place of silence, you are actually more active than ever that when you assume a position of vulnerability, you are eternally secure and 
protected. It's upside down to the ways of the world. But that when you are weak to God, you are strong, right? That when you are letting go of yourself in prayer, you are stronger than you've ever been in your life. Because you're not relying on your own fallible ability anymore. You're relying on the infallible, perfect, eternal promises of God in that moment. That you are saying to God, I choose obedience over distraction. I choose silence over noise. I choose to come to you and be subservient to your will, just as Jesus did. And this is a kind of faith that our world desperately is looking for. People that say that Christianity is fake and stupid and a waste of time, when they see real faith being lived out in our lives, genuine prayer lives, that is the most powerful evangelistic tool that there is. Pure authenticity. You can't try to be authentic. That's sort of an oxymoron. But if you just simply live a life of prayer, not something you turn off or on, just it's just who you are, constantly praying. Don't, don't get any traffic accidents. Like, pay attention to the road. But be a person of prayer. This is who Jesus was. Look in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. This is before Starbucks, okay? Spent the night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter and his brother Andrew, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and another Judas, Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus prays all night, and out of that connection to the Father came this very important decision that would, un, that would inalienably change history forever. Once these men are chosen, everything changes for the world after that day. Because they're sending these 12 people, Jesus connected to the Father, going forth, choosing these 12 men, indirectly and directly has impacted your life and impacted my life. If out of the connection to God that Jesus had, if they had never been sent, the gospel would have never gone forth. This wouldn't be happening right now. Maybe even no church would even exist. This was God's plan, was to use people. And it all originated from that night of prayer and Jesus' connection to his Father. And out of that sprang everything else, like, like a stream and 12 tributaries flowing off of it that would go out and impact lives all around. Their influence is undeniable in the history of the world. Like, think about Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul were both martyred in Rome in A.D. 60 under the persecution of Nero. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down at his request, for he said, I am not worthy to die as my Savior died. Andrew went as far as Russia and ministered in modern-day Turkey and Greece, where it is said that he was also crucified. Thomas, who's famously called Doubting Thomas, was probably the most active in Syria and made it as far as India, 
where today Christians still revere him as their founder, and there's a church that still bears his name. Philip had ministry in Carthage in North Africa in Asia Minor, where he converted the wife of a Roman governor. And when the governor found out that his wife had converted to Christianity, the governor had Philip uh, cruelly put to death. Matthew, the tax collector, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, ministered in Persia and Ethiopia. And some of the oldest reports says that he was eventually martyred in Ethiopia. Bartholomew made it as far as India with Thomas to Armenia to southern Arabia. So we, we think about these men going forth as after, this is after, of course, the resurrection and the ascension. But we tend to think they just stayed in Israel, they stayed in Jerusalem. No. I mean, they went all across Asia Minor, all across the known world at that time. James, son of Alphaeus, who is uh, one of at least three Jameses referred to in the New Testament, he went as far as Syria, and the, the Jewish historian Josephus reported that he was stoned and then clubbed to death. You know, some people say that I don't believe the Bible because it's just all made up, but there's outside sources that attribute truth to what you read in the Bible. Here is an exterior source, a historian named Josephus, who, who says, yes, James was a real person, and he was eventually martyred. Simon the Zealot, he made as far as Persia and was martyred for refusing to sacrifice to their sun god. Matthias was chosen to replace Judas, and tradition has him going as, to far as, as far as Syria. And then famously, John, the, the writer of the Gospel of John and the Revelation, that John was the only one who died of old age. He did not, was not martyred. Uh, church history sort of points to the fact, I mean, think about it. He was put on an island of Patmos, and a lot of people think they did that because they couldn't kill him. Uh, they tried to boil, boil him in oil, and he didn't die. And then other accounts said they tried to sink him with a stone around his neck, and the stone floated on the water. If that's true, it sounds awesome. I like to think it's true. Clearly, they couldn't kill him, uh, and he uh, eventually died of old age, and Jesus even said to him, one day you will be an old man being led around and be blind. So that, there's John's story. But you see all of this, these, these lineages that come from these 12 men that we all are, in a sense, a sense spiritual inheritors of their witness to the world. Like, if you ever read the Old Testament, and you, you're like, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, right? And you go through Genesis, and then you get to Leviticus, and there's a whole lot of begats. So-and-so begat, and they be... And I was a little boy, I was like, who's begat? I'm like, no, it's Clark, it's, it's a verb. It's not a noun. Um, well, the reason they did that, and if you read the, the front of Matthew, the, the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, you see this, these, this, this lineage... And it's not just to show physical roots, as important as that is, but it's there to show spiritual roots, to show the connection of that there is, there is this continuity, and it all flows out of uh, an individual's connection with God, that our faith is not formed in a vacuum, but in community, that we stand on shoulders of those who have preceded us, that this is not just by accident. It's like when you sit under a tree that you didn't plant. You enjoy the shade. You enjoyed what it provides. You didn't do it, but it's there, and you reap the benefit of what it is. So it is with our connection with God. The outworking of our prayer life, of, of your daily walking with God, can plant seeds in the lives of other people, changing one life at a time. Like, the current direction and trajectory of this church is not by accident. It is much bigger than ourselves. It is about the next 50 years. 
It is about the thousands of people that will come through these doors and hear the gospel for the first time. That we are growing something that's not about us. It'll be bigger than us. And it'll transcend any of our ability. Think of the people that built this building. They're not here anymore. But we reap the benefit of it, right? It's the same way when we make connections and, and with, with God and plant seeds for the future. It's about the people that will come here long after we're gone. And a marriage might get saved. Or an addiction might get broken. Or a child or a teenager might be raised in the way that they should go. Or an eternal destiny being rewritten. That as the previous generation sacrificed much and they stayed connected to God. And today we reap the benefit. Today it is now our turn. Today it is now our turn to work the fields to go for the harvest. As Jesus said, the harvest is ripe, y'all. Ripe, the fields are ripe, but the workers are few. Where are the people that go, I'll work, I'll pick up a hoe, I'll hold the row, I'll pull up some weeds, I'll dig up a stump, I'll scare away the crows. I mean, where are those people, right? These 12 disciples, they were the workers, and we reap the benefit, and now it's our turn. Now it's our turn. Like when I was ordained in the United Methodist Church, and I used to work really hard to get to that point, and I knelt at a, at a prayer rail, and a, the bishop put his hands on me, and it's a powerful moment. After it's over, you get a piece of paper, and it says the name of the bishop who ordained you, and then you see this line that goes from him to the guy who ordained him to the guy who ordained him, and it goes all the way back to Francis Asbury. And you see this connection, right? This, it's a very beautiful picture, really. That your and my faith story is much bigger than ourselves. And it's flowed out of other people's connection to God, out of their faithfulness. And the Holy Spirit weaves our lives together in such beautiful ways that we never could have foreseen or planned. Like your faith story, whatever it is, has been impacted by dozens and dozens of people, probably even hundreds people you don't even remember, right? I remember Mrs. Smith, my second grade Sunday school teacher. She had a felt board. Remember felt boards? I miss felt boards. And those little yellow cookies you could put on your pinky, remember those? I forgot what they're called. They weren't very good, but it's fine. You were happy. You were happy to get stuff on Sunday morning. We didn't have donuts, you know? We didn't have TV screens, you know? <laughs> but you were, it was good. It was good because she loved us. And I remember the impact she made in my life. And there's lots of people you could think of in your story as well. Family, friends, Sundays, whatever. Like, it all has flowed out of those people being faithful in the moment and saying, God, I'm going to plant seeds in the life of whatever it is I'm around. And it's flowing out of my connection to you. In the, the seminary I went to in the chapel in Charlotte at Gordon-Conwell, there's this beautiful fresco above the chancel, and it's called the parable, well, it's the parable of the sower. It's a parable that shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And go ahead and show it, yeah. And it's in a th three-dimensional capacity because they painted the frame, but then it looks like he's stepping out of the frame. It's pretty cool. And it's, it's this, you know, visual retelling of the parable of the sower that he's saying the kingdom of God is like someone with scattering seed, and, and the soil that the seed falls on is some of it's good soil, some of it's rocky, some of it's choked out by the, the worries of the world and thorns, um, but the seed is the gospel. The seed is the kingdom of God, and 
And so when I, as for years, I would hear this parable, and I would, you know, as a human being, you think, oh yeah, I'm a sower. I'm a sower. And I think that's, of course, partially true, that we are sowers with our lives. We do scatter seed. You know, it's not up to you what people do with it. You know, it, you, 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 we're called to be faithful in the moment and trust God for the results. Like, it's not up to us what happens to the seed. But the main thing is that we're scattering it, right? Yes. Um, and so we naturally put it in the first person. And I hear that parable and I go, yes, I'm a sower. But then I thought about not just the painting, but what the painting represents of that story, that he's the sower, right? Jesus is the sower. He's the one that's sowing. What if he's the sower and we're the seed? What if my life and your life is what's being scattered to the world, like the 12 disciples, right? And some of them went in places that it wasn't very hospitable, but they went, and they were faithful. And it came from that place of connection to God that our lives are scattered across the world. They can be. And in, in this way, out of our own obedience to the will of God, you and I might get planted in soil we didn't expect to get planted in. Our church might get planted in soil that we didn't foresee. But here's the thing about soil. Obviously, soil provides the nourishment and the life that a seed requires, clearly. But soil also provides pressure. Soil provides resistance, right? For without the resistance, the husk of the seed can't break forth. Like when I was in Northern California many years ago and we saw these gigantic redwood trees, like uh, unbelievable, 2,000 years old, these trees, right? 400 feet tall. And we're talking to this National Park Service ranger and he's holding a redwood seed, which is actually pretty big. And he said, yeah, these don't germinate unless they catch on fire. And we were like, wow. So he was like, that's why fire is part of the ecosystem of Yosemite Valley. You know, in the same way that without fire, that seed won't break. Without soil, the seed doesn't grow. Without, without that resistance, nothing's going to spring forth. That the pressure of the soil leads to the breaking. That out of the pressing comes new life. That you and I, our lives, our ministries, our connection to God, you might get scattered somewhere you didn't foresee. And this is nothing new. In James chapter 1, one of those disciples wrote this. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect. So that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Without the resistance, there is obviously no growth, and there's no development of nothing new, something new after that. And James would go on to say, Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives, receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. That out of the pressing comes new life. As Jesus scatters us out of our connection to the Father, we will remain steadfast. You will grow seeds of, of endurance, uh, and, and roots of endurance, I mean, that no matter what we may face. And so, 
I want to pray, and we're going to have a time of ministry up here at the front. If you need prayer, we would love to, to pray over you. Um, and so let's, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that out of our continual connection with you in prayer, that, God, uh, you birth life out of that, that you flow, your spirit flows through us as we remain connected to you. I pray that for all many gathered here today that you would help um, increase faith, that they would, you would grow our understanding of prayer, grow our understanding of walking with you. And that, God, and a lot of that comes with trust. And some of us have a hard time with trust. God, I pray that by your grace and mercy, help us, help more f- friends here trust you, to trust you. That although in the moment, God, it seems there's nothing happening, God, in time, you are working it out for your glory. And even things that may be coming against us that feel evil or wrong, God, you will cause it for good. You will turn it around, God, for your glory. So Holy Spirit, keep those gathered here and at home, keep them close to you. Keep us to remain connected to you, God, for we do desire to be a connected people of God, connected to you, Jesus, and then therefore able to love our world and our neighbor as ourselves. 